Hello and welcome to The Flex. This is Matt St. Jean with Joe Howie. As always, the Friars advanced to 4-0 with a 69-58 win over New Hampshire. Joe, this one, it was close to the scoreboard at times, but I'd say the Friars had control of it the whole way through. Is that Was that what you kind of got watching the game? Um, uh, For the most part, I would say yes. I don't think anyone was surprised by this pesky New Hampshire squad. Uh, I think all preparation pointed to the fact that they were going to be hot from three and they were going to give us a tough game. Uh, I think we were well prepared for it. To give New Hampshire credit, they, they did give us a run for our money. I'd say from about the under eight timeout in the first half until around the 14 minute mark in the first half is when New Hampshire really kind of got hot and was hitting everything. I think they trimmed the lead to three before halftime and then came out of the first half red hot, uh, draining three in a row from deep. So they definitely, you know, they lived up to the scouting report. But thankfully, I think the Ed Cooley did a great job preparing the guys for what New Hampshire was going to bring. Yeah, absolutely. And I know uh, Quan Murphy had a real good game for the Wildcats, three of three from downtown. But for the most part, I mean, Jaden Martinez was one for five. Guadarrama was one for five. Chicanu was one for four from downtown. So I think for the most part, the Friars put the clamps on New Hampshire from long distance, most of those guys. Uh, one of the things that stood out to me watching this in the first half, we want to talk about defense. Ed Croswell, again, had a couple of rough moments when it came to communication and defending the three-point line. And that was something New Hampshire was able to take advantage of. Yeah, I, this is the the second game in a row with a, a specific Ed Croswell example. But the the switching on ball screens, uh, uh, specifically on the wings and at the top of the key, really needs to be improved. And not to pick on him, I think he's just the victim of the two most obliv- obvious examples. I, I think there's definitely a few more sprinkled in there across the four games. But our backcourt and the, our frontcourt really need to do a better job of communicating when we're going to switch because it leaves guys wide open. And nine times out of ten, they're going to hit that shot. Yeah, and you just you can't do that again. It's New Hampshire. This is a team that's worse than you. When they played with their best and were hitting shots, they were able to just barely take a lead. So you're less worried about it. And thankfully, it didn't come back to bite you against Wisconsin, but you have some good teams coming up in the schedule. You got Northwestern. You got a potential bout against Virginia. You're going to play Texas Tech in a few weeks. Playing teams like that, you got to clean up some of these mistakes because that's where it will come back to haunt you. Yeah, I agree, Matt, 100%. It's a good thing, but it's also a bad thing. It's a bad thing because you don't want it to happen at all. But it's a good thing that it's happening in the early season so you can identify it and fix it. Uh, but, I mean, hey, quick turnaround. You got a 4-0 Northwestern squad that's looking to, to continue what they did to us two seasons ago. So I, I don't think this is something that's going to get fixed overnight, but I hope they've identified it. Yeah, that's a game that still haunts me a little bit. <laughs> that game at Northwestern uh, with that lacrosse player going off for him. So I definitely don't want to see a repeat of that. But we'll delve more into that on our next show. Let's talk about the Friars for this one. When you look at the stat sheet, the guy that stands out for me, Al Durham, leading the team with points, 19 points, hit all seven of his free throws, which was much needed. Three assists, two rebounds, no turnovers, a clean game for him and led the team in minutes. I think this is what you expected when you brought him in. 
I agree. He has done nothing short of impress us. Uh, I think he is a, a fine replacement for David Duke. If not, I think uh, a little bit more composed in the backcourt even. Um, I think he handles the ball very well. I think he plays downhill aggressively. He's got a ton of shifty new, uh, moves up his sleeve. He's been a really nice addition to the roster, and you can't talk about him without talking about Nate Watson. They're like the dynamic duo. Watson mm-hmm. continues to stay hot from the field, going 7 of 8 with 17 points. Um, not so hot from the stripe, but that's, uh, that's <laughs> a, a tweet story after for the game time. made me laugh. Yeah. He said um, for every missed free throw, he's going to do, uh, what was it, like 10 push-ups? Something like that. I said he's going to look like the rock. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't hate it. No. No, not at all. I think one of the things that's crazy looking at these stats, Watson averaged just under 17 points a game last year. He's up to 19. Obviously, you're going to have higher stats through the non-conference at this point because of level of competition. Duke, David Duke, ended last season averaging 16.8 points per game. Durham, 15.5. I think this is a lot less of a drop-off than we expected going from one guy to the next. Uh, I agree, Matt, and and I think... Um, from the small sample size of these four games that bec- that there is no significant drop off because Durham is more comfortable handling the point. Uh, I think a lot of times we saw uh, a level of discomfort with David Duke when he was trying to play point guard while also score. I think Durham also has a clutch factor that Duke just didn't have as a point guard. You know, being able to take the ball late in the shot clock and say, all right, I'm going to do this. A lot of times we'd see Duke drive, but he wouldn't get to the cup as easily as Durham does. Yeah, and this is something, I mean, Durham had a a real nice layup in transition early in this game. A a real fancy shot. I think his experience shows. And I know the scouting report on him coming from Indiana was that he was a streaky player. I don't think we've seen the streakiness yet. I think he's been incredibly consistent. So maybe that's going to come as we get into tougher parts of the schedule. But he has been far and away the best guard on this team through four games. Undoubtedly, yeah. And I think you can't talk about guards without talking about Alan Breed and Jared Bynum. This is, I mean, Breed played more minutes than Bynum in this game. And although Bynum led the team in rebounds and assists last game, he was not good shooting. He only hit, he only took two shots against New Hampshire, hit one of them, had less points than Breed, three versus six. They had the same number of assists. Breed had more rebounds. I'm not really sure what the answer is with this point guard situation. Do you start Bynum? Do you start Breed? Or do you just start Durham and have Manaya in your starting lineup with Breed and Bynum coming off the bench? Yeah, Matt, I, I think this is definitely a development that you want to watch. Obviously, Jared Bynum was brought into this program to be a an undersized table-setting point guard, similar to Luan Pipkin, similar to Malik White, Kyron Cartwright, Bryce Cotton, the list goes on. I, I think he was supposed to fill that, that mold. And with the injury issues last year, you know, he's had a slow onboarding this year. I don't know if he will. And that's not to knock the kid. I think he's a great player. He doesn't really have any consistent offensive ability other than passing the ball. And defensively, he hasn't there's nothing to write home about. Alan Breed is the better defensive guard, and I think that's clear in a way. I don't think anyone can argue that point. But when it comes to the offensive side of things, I I think Ed Cooley feels more comfortable with Durham running the point and having Breed play the two. Oh, yeah. And I think that's very clear. And then you add on the fact that Minaya outscored both Bynum and Breed against New Hampshire, and he added 10 rebounds. 
and Manaya had more assists than either of them either. So it becomes a lot harder to have Bynum or Breed on the floor when you're going to get more offensive and defensive production with your two veteran transfers in than by putting Bynum and Breed on the floor. I'm glad you bring up Manaya because I think Justin Manaya and let's not forget Noah Horkler as our, our wing forwards deserve yeah, the we're game gonna have ball to get to Horkler because Horkler had a really good game. Yeah, I, I I think the two of them share the game ball. They had a combined twenty-two rebounds, and just for reference, New Hampshire recorded twenty-three team rebounds. So that's how much those two guys were sweeping the glass. Horkler had a double-double. Manaya had eight points, was too shy of a double-double. These two guys were an absolute force last night, and I don't think that you know they get the respect that they're des- that they deserve. Quite honestly, they're the two glue guys of this team right now. Watson and Durham absolutely deserve the the media, the attention because of their scoring abilities. But if you're looking for the the two guys that hold this roster together, it's Horkler and Manaya defensively. Yeah, and they've been really, really good for this team. I mean, I just Horkler is like a magnet for the ball. It's really remarkable to watch. This is his second double double of the season already. He has more double doubles this year than Nate Watson. And in both of them, he had more rebounds than points. That's just that's not a stat line you see very often, especially from a guy of his size and stature. I mean, he's not the biggest guy on the floor. He's not the tallest. He's not the longest. He is definitely not the most athletic guy on the floor, but he knows how to get to the rebounds. And he, I mean, he's, he does have length. He can jump. He finds the ball. So, I mean, Horkler is a real fun guy to watch play. He may and not he, be the longest. two threes too. Yeah. He may not be the longest guy on the floor, but he certainly has the longest hair on the floor. I mean, he's got that, that beautiful flow. Um, but no, it, going back to the two threes that you just brought up, Matt, one of them was critical. It was late in the second half, and I think it put us up nine or ten. I forget the the sequence, but it was a huge three. It was deep. It was late in the shot clock, and it essentially sealed the game for us. And that's, I mean, that's what you talk about. Like, this is why this is the, the strength of this team when it comes to veteran lineups is that there's a lot of guys who have the experience to hit that late game shot. We've already seen Durham do it. We've seen Durham do it on the court and at the line. Now we've seen Horkler do it. Obviously, we've seen Reeves do it in the past. He has it in him. There's a lot of options that they can go to for that. I agree. I I, I 100% agree. Now, I think one of the other guys, I I mentioned A.J. Reeves in there. Now that we're four games into the season, he had six points. I know we talked about him as a role player. And I think even though he didn't have a perfect game, six points and a rebound and an assist, I, I think this was an underwhelming performance, but not not a bad one. Um, I, I would definitely say it was an underwhelming performance. Um, defensively, I don't think A.J. Reeves is anything to write home about. You know, I, I think he does his job and he does it just fine. But when you're going to get a, a pesky New Hampshire team that's really pushing the pace and trying to, you know, play upset ball, really, I'd feel more comfortable with Manaya on the wing than Reeves, quite honestly. I think Manaya is the better defender. Manaya is the better rebounder. And quite honestly, Manaya hustles a little bit more in the paint than Reeves does. And that's not to knock the kid, but... Reeves has we've really just used him as a one trick pony for scoring. We haven't really used him for much else. If you start him off taking threes and he doesn't hit them, you might as well sit the bench the rest of the night because he's going to be ice cold. We've we've said this until we're blue in the face. Get him going underneath and then he'll get going outside. But 
for some reason we draw up these early game threes that just don't fall and the rest continues and he sits the bench yeah i think it does say good things about this team though that reeves bottom and breed all to some degree had underwhelming performances and the team still won by double digits I mean, this is you know, I think this is the worry for the Friars is that there's a lot of inconsistent guys up and down this lineup. And there's going to be some games where you just you don't get the strong performances. I mean, even I mean, Horkler had a fantastic game. He only gave you 10 points. This was not a barn burner on offense. They hit 27 percent of their threes. They only hit four of them. They missed a lot of free throws. I mean, it was a clean game. They didn't turn the ball over that much. They had a lot of assists, but it wasn't particularly efficient on the offensive end. And for the most part, they still won comfortably. And part of that's the defense. I think this defense is much improved from last year. It took them a little bit to settle in. But after the first first three halves of the season, they found out what they want to do with the defensive end of the floor. And that's you're going to you're going to win games with defense and the offense is a bonus, I think, is the way to look at the Friars this year. Yeah, Matt, I always say this good defense turns to better offense. I think we're still waiting for the offense to click. Uh, This by no means was a poor or shoddy offensive performance, but it definitely wasn't strong, to say the least. It wasn't anything that, yeah, there's no 10-minute highlight tape going on. I think there were a couple of good plays. Um, I think one of the offensive plays of the game was uh, Al Durham's behind-the-back pass to Horkler for a transition dunk. I think that was the nicest offensive play we've seen all season. But uh, otherwise, I mean, you're going to get a a steady flow of points in the paint with Watson. You're going to get Durham driving downhill with Horkler, Bynum, Reeves, Minaya, the the rest of the ensemble contributing in other ways. But Durham and Watson are your two offensive keys right now. Yeah, And they also I mean, they did the nitty gritty stuff, too. Durham, Watson, Manaya, those three combined to hit 85% of their shots from inside the arc. Each of them missed just one shot. So when you do that, those are the little things. It's not super flashy, but you're just you're able to hit the looks you should, especially against an undersized team. Against a team like New Hampshire, you expect to win in the paint. They don't have a great paint defense. You expect to win that way. The Friars did that. They held them to a subpar three-point shooting percentage, dominated the paint, and won in the end pretty comfortably, even though it wasn't pretty at times. And I think based on our – especially what we did in the preview, I think that's all you could reasonably expect from a game like this. You know, I I don't really walk away from this game with too much to gripe about. Uh, I think we expected a pesky New Hampshire squad. That's exactly what we got. I I will say some of the mistakes do need to be cleaned up because, again, these are teams that aren't going to punish you. We're going to go into an environment with a very tough Northwestern squad on Monday, which and, you know, they're 4-0. We're 4-0. They come from the Big Ten. We come from the Big East. This isn't the same New Hampshire team that we faced two years ago. Although it kind of is because they return everybody. So I think they're improved. We're improved. A lot of veterans. Small mistakes you got to clean up and you just got to be a little bit more crisp on offense. Yeah, this is it's kind of this actually reminded me a lot of the Patriots on Thursday night as well in that it's an imperfect offensive performance. But you also went into the game knowing that the defense was what was going to win it for you. And you're not going to score 90 points every game. Heck, New Hampshire just played a close one with Marquette. The Friars played New Hampshire better than Marquette did. So you take it. Even the best Friars teams that we've seen have games where they struggle. Even championship teams like Villanova and Baylor have the games where they struggle against bad teams. So the fact that you were 
only up three points at the half against New Hampshire. I don't care that much about that. I care about the fact that they finished and especially kind of the third quarter of this game. Providence really put them away, did what they needed to do. Had a big run in the second half, a 16 to three run kind of between the 15 and 10 minute marks. And that was it. Put them away. You can let them hang around for a little bit. Heck, you see it in the NCAA tournament. They're a D1 basketball team. Any D1 basketball team is capable of playing four or eight really good minutes. These are talented guys. But the Friars outlasted them, stayed with it, and played tough basketball. That's the identity of this team, and I have to think Cooley's got to be proud of this one. Yeah, I I would agree, Matt. Uh, I think you can nitpick all you want. I think at the end of the day, a win is a win is a win is a win. This is our fourth win. Our fourth consecutive win this season in the non-conference. We're off to the best start in six years that this team has seen, and your veterans are doing what they're supposed to do. Yeah, and so, if you if you play things right, this team has a decent chance at going into that meeting against Texas Tech at seven and zero. And I think worst case, you're looking at probably a six and one type record heading into that one. The Friars are playing good, sound ball, and then you're going to get a top twenty-five battle at home. Depending on what the Friars, I mean, the Friars could be ranked if they win that game. Well, I mean, we will see what happens. But this is a Providence team that came into the season, I believe, in the, the 80s in Ken Palm preseason. And they're up to 68. They're moving up. <laughs> they're now, they've jumped Butler. They're just behind Creighton. Not too far behind, like, St. John's and then Xavier. I mean... This is a Providence team that is really not that far. There are only a couple of good performances away in the metrics from all of a sudden being in the top half of this conference and being a team that is looking at NCAA tournament. And when's the last time we saw a team, this, the Friars do that in the non-conference? They didn't do that when we were there. <laughs> no. The last time they did it, we were watching them on TV in high school. Yeah, it's been that long. So... This is I, I'm very happy and I, I think it's, it's a little bit premature because it's only four games in and they still haven't played a lot of their big tests. They still haven't played Northwestern. They haven't played Virginia and or Georgia, haven't played Texas Tech, have not played URI. And you don't look too far, but that game against Vermont right after URI, that's a good Vermont team. That's a top 100 team. They're the same tier as URI, according to the metrics right now. So don't sleep on them. There's a lot of tough games with injuries or underperforming. This Friars team could go downhill in a hurry. But you have to be happy with what you've seen so far. Yeah, I don't really like, uh, as opposed to you, I don't really like the look-ahead game. Uh, mm-hmm. I just, I'm very superstitious. I like to look one ahead. So right now I'll look at Northwestern. But to your point, I am pleased with what I've seen the first two weeks of college basketball. I think coming off of the the past five years, I'd say this is a refreshing change of pace to start the season. And just to, to echo your point, I hope it, I hope they can keep it up. Uh, I think we got to take it one game at a time. I think next is Northwestern, but definitely something to look forward to as the season progresses. Absolutely. Uh, one other note on this game, just kind of looking at some of the stats. This is by far the lowest number of possessions in any Providence game. So far, it's the slowest tempo. Uh, the Friars had 76 possessions against Fairfield and then 69 against Sacred Heart, 66 against Wisconsin, now down to 56 against New Hampshire. So they're kind of going late in the, the shot clock. And the defense in particular has really forced opposing offenses deep into the shot clock. And I think that I mean, that's a hallmark of Ed Cooley to try to slow down the game and make other teams uncomfortable. And 
sometimes when you play against a bad team like a New Hampshire, it means the game is going to be closer than it should be. But it also means the game is going to be closer than it should be when you play Texas Tech or Villanova or a UConn. And we've seen that work in the past. So that's this defense is definitely settling in very nicely over the last couple games. Uh, to to expand on that, I'd say this is a characteristic that's unique to the Big East. And now mm-hmm. each school within the conference is unique in and of itself with respect to pace of play and tempo and whatnot. Providence tends to be one of the slower paced teams. But I think if you look at, at, at large scale, the, the Gavit tip off games, most mm-hmm. of these Big East wins have been very close. And also have come from a much slower paced game than Big Ten opponents are used to. I I mean, if you even look at Villanova UCLA, at the times when Villanova thrived, it's because they slowed down the pace. Mm -hmm. Towards the end, UCLA just took it and ran and Nova couldn't keep up. But if you look at all the Gavit games, the Big East as a conference slowed down the tempo of each game. Yeah, it's interesting, too. You look at the tempo across the conference and you see Butler and Nova, two of the slowest teams in the nation. Providence not too far behind them. And then Xavier in that category, too. They're a slow team. Then on the flip side, St. John's 15th fastest team in the nation. (laughs) And you have Marquette just outside the top 50, Georgetown and DePaul also in the top 100. So, yeah, that's I think it's a really interesting dynamic in the conference. Generally, the more successful teams have been the slower ones and the worst teams have been the faster ones, although it's not a hard and fast rule. I agree. Yeah, I I say it's unique to the conference, but maybe not St. John's. Maybe not them. Yeah, and they, they lost to Indiana. So maybe they're not in the conference anymore. Yeah, I think maybe we, we kick stand- out St. John's and Butler. Yeah, for, uh, looking at the results of the Gavit games, I'd say uh, St. John's and Butler have to get on their knees to earn our respect back and basically pray for the rest of the conference to yeah. let them back They're in. They're on probation. They're on probation. Yeah. Uh, we need to see some strong performances from them. But hey, Friars won the Gavit tip-off games 6-2 to two against the Big Ten, and Providence sits at 4-0 and oh right now, just a couple weeks into this season. They'll play next Monday night against Northwestern at the Prudential Center. Tip-off should be around 9.30. It's another late game. It's going to be after the early Georgia-Virginia game. And then Friars will play either the winner or the loser of that one, depending on how they do against Northwestern. That game will be Tuesday night, also from the Prudential Center. So you're going to get some early action the week of Thanksgiving. So settle in. I know most people are going to have to work on Tuesday, so I'm sorry that you're going to have a late night the night before. But you got to stay up for the Friars, as always. Both teams will be undefeated heading into that one, so I think we'll have a good matchup there. But yeah, Friars beating New Hampshire comfortably 69-58. to 4-0 for the first time since 2015-16. For Joe Howie, I am Matt St. Jean. This has been the Flex Hoops. Make sure you're following us on Twitter and subscribe wherever you're listening to this to stay up to date with Friars action. We'll be back with more shortly before that Northwestern game. Thank you for listening. Go Friars. <laughs>